Welcome everybody to today's reading of AA Big Book. Rick and I are the readers. Let's go ahead and open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. AA Fellowship is comprised of many women who have experienced their experience, strength, and hope help each other and others to recover from alcoholism. Please join us with your big book. We're going to start on page 24, then jump to 62, and then 86, and that'll be it. It'll be a short stack for today, please. Okay, we're going to start on the top of page 24. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost their power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first strength. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hasty and readily supplanted with the old treadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of that kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all how often of us began to drink in this nonchalant way. And after a third or fourth pound on the bar, said to ourselves, For God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have the thoughts supplanted by, well, it's up in the sixth street. Or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendency, he's probably placed himself beyond human aid and less locked up, beige eye, or more permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts may have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history, but for the grace of God, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we have come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of the existence of which we have not even dreamed. The great fact is just this, and nothing less, that we had had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards God, towards life, towards our fellow man, and towards God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we can never do by ourselves. Life is becoming impossible, and we have to pass through a region which there is no return to human aid. We have but two alternatives. One is to go to the bitter end, blotting out the situation, blocking out. I keep missing my spot. There is no return to human aid. Alternative was to go out there, bitter end, blotting out the consciousness. 
and a tolerable situation the best as we could and the others to accept spiritual help. This we did <laughs> because we really wanted to. My book is messed up. All right, let's go to page 62, please. 62. Amen. 62. Selfishness. Yeah, I'll, I'll start it off again. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation. But we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later places in a position to be hurt. So uh, we think our trouble today, especially, are basically our own making. They arise out of ourselves with alcohol as an extreme example of self will run right. Even though he doesn't usually think, think so, well, everything, the alcoholic must be rid of the selfishness or he must or kills us. God makes that possible. As often seems to be no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Uh, many of us had moral, physiological convictions galore, but we could not give up today. Uh, could not give up uh, the, them even if we would have liked to. Kind of like a third grader reading. Neither could I ever reduce our self-centeredness <laughs> much by wishing trying our our own power. We had to have God's help. This is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. Bo, we are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new triumphant arch through which we passed for freedom. all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer being all-powerful. He provided what we needed to keep close to him and perform his work well. Established as such a footing, became less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt a new powerful and we enjoyed peace of mind, we discovered we could face life successfully and became conscious of his presence we begin to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, thereafter, we were reborn. Want to go on? Please. Uh, we are now on step three. Many of us said to our maker, as, as we understand him, God, I ever offer myself to thee. Build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may do better do thy will. Make my difficulties and victory over them. Be a bear witness to those who I help by thy power, thy love, thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure that we were ready to, we could ask the last, abandon ourselves utterly to him. Amen. Page 76, please. When ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go off from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. Page 86, please. Uh, I'm waking. Let's think about the 24 hours ahead. We can 
consider our plans for the day before we begin. We ask God to direct our thinking, especially on asking Him that He would divorce us from self pity, just on our self seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ a new mental, or we can employ our mental faculties with the assurance. For all, God gave us brain to use. <clears throat> our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane with this thinking is clear of wrong motives. We may, but in thinking about our day, we may face these decisions we may not be able to determine which course to take. Here's what we ask God for inspiration of two to thought or decision. We relax, we take it easy, we struggle, don't struggle. We are surprised how often the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. But it used to be the hunt of occasional, uh, occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still an experience that have just made conscious contact with God is not probable that we're going to be inspired all times. We have paid for the presumption of all sorts of obscured actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find as the thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration we've come to rely upon. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not, members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestion about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be, see, be quick to see where religious people are right. Make, make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause and agitate our doubtful. That's for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. We're in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, and foolish decisions. We become more and more efficient. <clears throat> efficient. We do not tire so easily. For we are not burning up energy foolishly. As we did when we were trying to raise our lives to ourselves, it works, it really does. Dean, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. Yeah, thank you. Let's go ahead and pray out. Let me say a prayer for us, a prayer of surrender. Father God, we just surrender ourselves to you in this program, Lord God. Take our lives and our wills just the way you, we put your, our lives in, into your hands, Lord God, that you may do as you will with our lives. We thank you for this opportunity to be sober and to be helpful. And Lord, just increase in us, Lord God, your presence. And go with us as we go and deal and do your bidding. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, give them heaven. Have a nice weekend, huh? Did you get that speaker to work? Over that, that microphone? Yeah, no, I... Uh, um, I got we we bought a new about eight hundred dollars worth of microphone stuff, but it's uh I got a microphone, but it's got a wire. The only one I can't seem to to hook up is the one with the batteries, the uh, portable uh, handheld microphone. We we have the one that goes on the lapel, the little small one. That one's working, and the one the wire one is working.
And I'm trying to get a third one where they can move around and maybe sometimes talk to the audience, you know. <laughs> you know, like, so we're working on it. Very good. Red Hat and Roland, we're ready for tonight's barbecue. And uh, get yourself somebody to bring you and come get right. and eat dinner with us and enjoy uh, AA speaker. It'd be nice if I could, but I can't. Okay. And God's right. good. Monday, take care. Have a good weekend. All right, we'll see you. Have a great weekend. Bye, Rick. Bye-bye. Welcome, everybody, to today's uh, podcast. I'm Fernando Alcoholic, and Rick is here, too. He's also in the program. Uh, say hi to the people, Rick. Hi, people. <laughs> I'm, I was reading something this morning about this lady. She said, you are not born with a fixed amount of resilience like a muscle. You can build it up uh, when you need it. In the process, you will figure out who you really are, and you just might become the very best version of yourself. You know, that's what our readings are doing on a daily basis. We're becoming, well, at least four or five days a week. We're becoming a better self. That's the idea. Uh, you know, uh, another person said, almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including, <laughs> including you, including you. We get, yeah. Um, one more. It says, a generous deed lives longer than a great battle or a king's decree or a scholar's essay. Because it spreads and levels its mark on all nature and endures through all many generations. A good deed. Wow. This is taken from the, uh, not from the grapevine, but from the guidepost. Yeah. This is the one from Elnon. Huh. I was going to an Elnon meeting and I put a dollar and they had a raffle and I, I won a subscription. You know? Huh. So. I didn't realize they had so many uh, intelligent quotes in here. here. Here's another one. It says, it is not joy that makes you makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. You know, I believe gratitude is the, is the key to, to living life serene and successful. Be grateful. Amen. So I'm grateful for these readings. Are you ready to rock and roll and read the book today? Woo-hoo! Like, we're going to read these page, these pages like we never read them before. <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and start with the Unawakening on page 86, please. We'll have a half a... 86? Yeah. Unawakening, oh, let, let's go ahead and pray. Let me pray the uh, set-aside prayer. God, I set aside everything I think I know about you myself, my fellow man, Andy Steps, for a fresh new revelation in you and myself, my fellow man, and this program in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day before we begin. We ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonors, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is clear of wrong motives. Go ahead. 
You think about our day, we face the indecision with we're not, not, we may not be able to determine which course to take. Here's where we ask God for inspiration, a tune of thought or decision. We were laughing, take it easy, we don't struggle. We are often surprised how right the answers come after we've tried this for a while. We used to be the hunter and occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still in experience and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we're going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for the presumption of all sorts of obscured actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to to take care of such problems. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful. We ask for the righteous thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. Oh, um, that's say to ourselves many times each day, that will be done. We are in less, much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, foolish decisions. We become more and more efficient. We do not tire so easily. We are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange our lives to suit ourselves. It works. It really does. Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to page 62, please. 62. 62. Uh-huh. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-illusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we have made decisions based on self, which later places in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourself, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible, and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we cannot live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. We didn't work. Next, next we decided that thereafter of the draw of life, God was going to be our be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new traffic arch, which we passed through freedom. When we sincerely took a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had an employer... A, a new employer, being all powerful, he had he provided what 
we needed if we kept close to him and formed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves and our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt a new power flow in and enjoyed peace of mind, we discovered how we could face life successfully. As we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of stage tomorrow and thereafter. We were reborn. We were now at step three. Many of us said to our Maker, as we understood him, God. I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready, that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. Amen. Let's go ahead and read up uh, page 76, get that prayer in, and then we'll go back to page uh, 24 after I read 76. When ready, we say something like this, my creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. All right, page 24, please. The fact that most alcoholics are reasoning out of obscurity have lost their choice of drink and our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existence. We are unable at certain times to bring into the consciousness of significant force of memory of suffering and the humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are all without defense against this first drink. The almost certain consequences following the glass of the almost certain consequences that follow taking a glass of beer do not crowd the mind to deter us. These thoughts occur, they are hazily and rapidly supplanted with the old thread of our idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There's a complete failure against this kind of offense that keeps one from putting his hands on a hot stove. The alcoholic may say to himself in the most casual way, It won't bring me this time, so here's how. Or perhaps he doesn't think at all. How often have some of us began to drink in this nonchalant way, and after the third or fourth, pounded on the bar and said to herself, for God's sake, how did I ever get started again? Only to have that thought supplanted by, well, I'll stop with the sixth drink, or what's the use anyhow? When this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendency, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid, and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. These stark and ugly facts have been confirmed by legions of alcoholics throughout history. But for the grace of God, there would have been thousands more convincing demonstrations. So many want to stop, but cannot. There is a solution. None of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation, but we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we have been living it. When therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. 
great factors in social realize that, that we've had deep effects of spiritual experiences which have revolutionized the whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, towards God's universe. And a certain an essential fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is deep miraculous. He has commenced and accomplished those things which we could never do by ourselves. We are a serious alcoholic as we were. We believe that there's no middle of the road solution, that we were in a position where life is becoming impossible. And if we had to pass through a region which there is no return through human aid, we have two, but two alternatives. One is to go out to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of the intolerable situation as best as we could. And the other is to expect, expect spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to or were willing to make the effort. All right, let's turn to page 420, please. Perhaps the best thing for me of all is to remember that my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations. The higher my expectations of Max and other people are, the lower is my serenity. I can watch my serenity a lot rise when I discard my expectations, but then my rights try to move in, and they too can force my serenity level down. I have to discard my rights as well as my expectations by asking myself, how important is it really? How important is it really compared to my serenity, my emotional sobriety? And when I place more value on my serenity and sobriety than anything else, I can maintain them at a higher level, at least for the time being. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for Him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever's in front of me to be done, and I leave the results up to him, however it turns out. That's God's will for me. I must keep my magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations, for my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. When I remember this, I can see I never had it so good. Thank God for AA. Go to page 552, please. He said, in effect, if you have resentments that you want to be free of, you, you will pay, you will pray for the person that you have resentments for, you will be free. If you, if you, I lost my place here. If you will ask for their, in prayer, everything that you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even if you don't really want it or mean it for the, for the, for the, <coughs> For them and your prayers are only words and doesn't mean and you don't mean it go ahead do it anyways do it every day for two weeks and you will find that you will have come to mean it and want it for them and you realize that what you used to feel bitterness resentment and hatred you now feel compassion understanding and love it worked for me then it'll work for me every time since and it will work for me every time I'm willing to work it. Sometimes I have to ask for the willingness, but it always comes. Because it works for me, it will work for all of us. And another great man says, "The only real freedom a human being can ever ever know is doing what he has to do because he wants to do it." This great experience that released me from the bondage of hatred and replaced it with love is really just another affirmation of the truth I know. I get everything I need in Alcoholic Anonymous, and everything I need I get, and when I get what I need, I really find that it was just what I wanted all the time. Page 100, please. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. 
when we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstance is. Uh, page 83, please. The Promises. We are painting about this phrase of development. We are being imagined for halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom, a new happiness. We will not regret the past or share the torment. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace no matter how far down the scale we have gone. We will see how our experience can benefit others, and a feeling of useful, uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in our selfish things and gain interest in our foes. Self-seeking will slip away our whole attitude, an outlook upon life will change. Fear of people, economic insecurity will leave us, and we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. But we are—we will suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these describing the promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize for us if we work for them. Amen. Work, work, work. Page 85, please. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble we do for alcoholics to settle full. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Not thy will, not mine, be done. These are such these are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line. All we wish, it is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about them receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we are carefully follow directions, we have, followed, we have begun to sense a flow of his spirit into us and to some extent we have become God conscious we have begun to develop a vital success but this means to, to go further and this means more action amen page 43 please once more the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink except in a few rare cases neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense his defense must come from a higher power D.N. Beautiful, beautiful reading. Amen. Well, and my, my desire to do this program came from a higher power. You know, the, I knew that life was too tragic. I needed to stay in here. I, I was wise enough for that. <laughs> All right, sir. Thank you. Anything else to add? No, that's it. Thank you for, for coming on. All right. Then we'll be here tomorrow. God bless you. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bill's Story, Chapter 1. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned and we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their home, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, War, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last. In the midst of an excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudice of my people concerning drink. 
In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral, much moved. I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel, an, an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A soldier, good, is never forgotten whether he died by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. 22 and a veteran of foreign wars. I went home, alas, I fancy myself a leader, for I had not the men of my battery giving me a special token of appreciation. My talent for leadership, I imagine, would place me at the head of vast enterprise, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I took a night law score and obtained employment as an investigator for a surety company. The drive was success was on. I'll prove to the world I was important. The work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of these finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Through my drinking was not yet continuous, it's disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I was still her forebodings by telling her that the men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk, that the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were so derived. By the time I had completed the course, I knew that law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grips. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved a thousand dollars. I went into certain securities then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements, but my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stock through ignorance of markets. I discovered many reasons later on. We gave up our positions and off we roar on a motorcycle. The sidecar stuffed with tent, blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of financial reference services. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had some successive speculation, so we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tunes of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important, exhilarating part of my life. 
There was loud talk in the jazz places of uptown. Everyone spending thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. My drinking assumed more serious proportion, continuing all day and almost every night. The remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row, and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our sumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife. Help at times by extreme drunkenness kept me out of those scrapes. In 1929, I contracted golf fever. We went at once to the contrary country, my wife to applaud while I started to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I caught up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning, golf permitting drinking every day and every night. It was fun to carom around the exclusive course which had inspired such an awe in me as a lad. I acquired that impeccable coat of tan one sees upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl fat checks in and out of his tilt with amused specticism. Abruptly, in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape which bore the inscriptions XYZ minus 32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished and so were many of my friends. The papers reported men jumping from death to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several millions since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. The drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in the apartment store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hangover at brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub, gin, two bottles a day and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net me a few hundred dollars and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by a half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renew my wife's hope. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. 
My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw that I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. Shortly afterwards, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had my high resolve be? I simply didn't know. I hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink into my way, and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder. For such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed, and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. The remorse, the horror, the hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dare cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight, and all night place supplied me with a dozen gins of ale. My reading nerves were still at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin will fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms, for mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning's terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was a poison, cursing myself a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish. I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. The combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity, so did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. 
hydrotherapy and mild exercise help much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I have been seriously ill bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared both fort in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my decline moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the curtain. It seemed to me my weary and despairing wife was informed that it will all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capability, capacity to sermon obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining that endless procession of sobs who had gone on before. I thought about my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksands stretch all around me, all directions. I have met my match. I have been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Trembling, I stepped from the hospitals, a broken man. Fear sobered me up a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink, and on Armistice Day, 1934, I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted into what I call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen with a certain satisfaction I reflected that there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. My wife was at work. I wonder whether I dare hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. 
It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. Of course, he would have dinner, and then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was the time we had char chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. The door opened, and he stood there, fresh skin and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what had got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's all this about? I queried. He looked straight at me, simply but smiling. He said, I've got religion. I was aghast. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now I suspect a little crackpot about religion. He had that starry eye look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right. But bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gym would last longer than his preaching. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action that was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it. I was shocked but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays, way over there on the hillside. There was that preferred temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folks of their doings, his insistence that the fears really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. <clears throat> these recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are. For that means blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, the astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary indication, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. How could there be so much of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I'd gone. With ministers and the world's religions, I parted right there when they talk of a God personal to me who was love, superhuman strength, and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. To Christ, I conceal 
though certainly of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claim him. His moral teaching, more excellent. For myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. The wars which had been fought, the burnings and the chicanery, the religious dispute had facilitated, made me sick. I honestly doubted whether, on balance, the religions of mankind had done any good. Judging from what I had seen in Europe, and since the power of God in humans seen in Europe, Judging from what I had seen in Europe, and since the power of God in human affairs was negligible, the brotherhood of man a grim jest. If there was a devil, he seemed like the boss universal, and he certainly had me. But my friend who sat before me, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors have pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. Had this power originated in him? Obviously, it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute. And this was none at all. That floored me. It began to look as though religious people were right after all. Here was something at work in a human heart, which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. He shouted great tidings. I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. He was on a different footing. His roots grasped a new soil. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in my, me the vestiges of my old prejudice. The word God still arose a certain antipathy. When the thought was expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. I didn't like the idea. I could go for much conceptions of creative intelligence, universal mind, or spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of a shar of the heavens. However loving his way might be, I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way. My friend suggested that then seemed a novel idea. He said, Why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard. It melted the key intellectual mountain, the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I have lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. Thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. As at long last I saw, I felt, I believed, scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes, a new world came into view. 
The real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me, and he came, but soon as the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. And so it had been ever since, how blindly, how blind I had been. At the hospital, I was separated from alcohol for the last time. Treatment seemed wise, for I shone signs of delirium tremens. There I humbly offered myself to God, as I then understood him, to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I rootlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. I have not had a single drink. My schoolmate visited me and I fully acquainted him with my problem and deficiency. We made a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I felt resentments. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals. I admitted my wrong, never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. I was to test my th th thinking by the new God consciousness within. Common sense then thus become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problem as he would have me. Never was I to pray for myself except as my request bore on my usefulness to others. Then only might I expect to receive, but that would be in a great measure. My friend promised when these things were done, I would enter into a new relationship with my Creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simply, but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of lights who presides over us all. These were revolutionary and drastic proposals, but the moment I fully accepted them, the effect was electric. There was a sense of victory, followed by such a peace and serenity I have never known. There was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountain top blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. For a moment, I was alarmed and called my friend, the doctor, and I asked if I were still sane. He listened in wonder as I talked. Finally, he shook his head, saying, Something has happened to you. I don't understand, but you had better hang on to it. Anything is better than the way you were. The good doctor now sees many men who have such experiences. He knows that they are real. Which I lay in the hospital, the thought came that, there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad I could help some of them. They, in turn, might work with others. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. 
Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Fate without works was dead, he said, and now appalling truth for the alcoholics. And how appalling truth for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then fate will be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. My wife and I abandoned ourselves with enthusiasm on the idea of helping other alcoholics to a solution of their problem. It was fortunate for my old business associate remaining skeptical for a year and a half, during which I found little work. I was not too well at the time and was plagued by ways of self-pity and resentment. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drinking, but I soon found that when all other measures fail, work with another alcoholic will save the day. Many times I have gone to my old hospital in despair on talking to a man there. I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works in rough going. We commenced to make many fast friends and a fellowship has grown up among us of which it is a wonderful thing to feel a part. The joy of living we really have, even under pressure and difficulty. I have seen hundreds of families set their feet in the path that really go somewhere, have seen the most impossible domestic situations righted, fuse and bitterness of all sorts wiped out. I have seen men come out of asylum and resume a vital place in the lives of their families and communities. Business and professional men have regained their standings. There is, a, is scarcely any form of trouble and misery which has not been overcome among us. In one western city, it is in, in its environs, there are 1,000 of us and our families. We meet frequently so that the newcomer may find the fellowship they seek. At these informal gatherings, one may often see from 50 to 100 persons. We are growing in numbers and power. An alcoholic and his cubs is an unloving creature. Our struggles with them are variously strenuous, comic, and tragic. One poor chap committed suicide in my home. He could not or would not see our way of life. There is, however, a vast amount of fun about it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming worldliness and liberty, but just underneath there is daily earnestness. Fate has to work 24 hours a day, and through us, or we perish. Many of us feel we need to look no further for Utopia. We have it with us right here and now. Each day, my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in a widening circle of peace, honor, and goodwill to all men. Amen.